welcome back. This is Money Talks, Atlanta's longest-running, most-respected money show on radio. Guys, coming back to answer some more listener questions, but if uh, you at home listening have any questions of your own, you want to speak to KC or DJ about your financial planning questions or anything of that sort, uh, you can call us at 770-429-9166. You can email us your questions at drgene at hensler.com. We'll be happy to answer them on the air, guys. Um, first off today, our good friend Ed Kelly wrote in, I was reading an article at Bloomberg.com about NAFTA. My question is, are the trade deficits we've heard about going back decades always based on only goods and leave out services? And so what we did Ed, is we, we took a look at the, the Bloomberg article you're referencing. And in that particular case... Uh, it does simply refer to the goods deficit with Canada and Mexico. It even goes on to mention that when you include services, the U.S. has a trade surplus with Canada. So in short, no. If you read most um, most data out of uh, the Census Bureau, the balance of trade actually represents the difference between exports and imports of goods and services. So as I mentioned, that the data is provided by the Bureau of Census and the Bureau of Economic Analysis, and it details U.S. trade with all nations and all types of goods and services. And you can find that data, actually time series data, back to 1960 if you want to get into the numbers. It's real exciting stuff, I can promise you that. <laughs> but if you look at 2016, the total U.S. trade deficit was $502 billion, with the U.S. importing $2.712 trillion of goods and services while they exported just $2.209 trillion. So the U.S. is a net importer of goods, but a net exporter of services, which helps reduce that overall deficit. So on the whole, we do run a deficit, as we have basically forever. We're a consumption-led economy. Well, and if you think about sort of the way, you know, we talked about the debt ceiling earlier, and, and if you think about sort of how the money system works, then that kind of leads you to the reason that we have such high debt, you know, relative, uh, it, it's not that high relative to GDP compared to a lot of nations. Sure. But, you know, if you think about if Americans as a whole, if, if the average consumer wants to save money or consume less than their income, then you got to think about it from the standpoint of what does a, a dollar spent mean to the economy? A dollar spent by somebody is a dollar earned by somebody else. Absolutely. Yeah. That yeah. earnings is taxable, right? So that's revenue to the government. So as long as if the more people want to save, then the lower the revenue is because there's lower spending, then there's less taxable income to the in the economy. Right. So then the, the only way to solve for that is to either become a a net uh, import or a net exporter where you're where you're running a trade surplus uh, because then you're the other country's population is paying taxes. Uh, that that money, that income is being earned by American companies right. and taxed at in U.S. dollars. Or you got to borrow to finance that savings by the American consumer. So everybody gets very concerned about the amount of national debt. At the end of the day, we have the ability to print money. So it shouldn't necessarily be a problem. What you don't and there's see, a lot of and the reason we can do this is so much demand for. For the U.S. dollar, for for dollar-dominated bonds, U.S. Absolutely. treasuries. Yeah, it's a very high. I mean, it's still the the currency of choice for you know your safe money. Uh, we can fund the deficit. And we can absolutely fund the deficit. What you don't want to see is a huge increase in the ratio of debt to GDP. Um, and the concern there is just being able to grow GDP at a level that's sustainable compared to the amount of debt that we have. So I know that's sort of off the topic, uh, Ed, so I apologize. No, I, I, think I, it's, it was... I think those are all important things to consider in the, in the long run, especially if you're kind of con developing an opinion on whether or not NAFTA is good or bad. Yeah, for sure. And, and I mean, 
if, if, an interesting por- portion of the article, because we did read the article that he's referencing, is a lot of the the U.S., Canada, and Mexico have very integrated supply chains. There was a quote in here from. Uh, uh, one of the senior economist at the Economic Policy Institute in Washington, he says, we have deeply integrated supply chains with Mexico and Canada. Uh, for instance, in oil, we import crude and export refined products. So if you think about it, that's how it works. You know, Canada is giving us the raw material, and then we're turning it around and exporting back to them refined oil. Absolutely. And there's the same thing with, you know, wood and polymer products, uh, you know, even nuclear reactors, boilers, machinery parts. A lot of this stuff is coming into the U.S. and then being sent back out as a finished, finished good. good. Yeah. And I assume that probably the reason this is being brought up is because of renegoti- renegotiations of NAFTA. But a renegotiation of NAFTA is going to make no meaningful indention in, in, in the surplus. Yeah. Or the deficit, rather. No, it's you know? not. And that's where people get... It's a very hot political topic, and you know I'm not here to debate the politics of it. But it, if you think about it from just a purely economic standpoint, you know NAFTA free free trade is not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, the whole idea is that you uh, you make both both it's countries for the better. Good. Yeah, by, exactly. <laughs> and that's the way a treaty should work. Exactly. It should not be one sided. Both countries, you know, are should benefit. Anyway, guys, I think that uh, hopefully answers Ed's question. So the next question we got is from uh, good friend Bill Murray. For the first time since the financial crisis, the Vanguard Prime Money Market Fund has outperformed the Ally Bank Money Market Fund. Do you expect this spread to widen? Even though the Vanguard Fund has no FDIC insurance, it has never broken the buck. I believe that Vanguard is a very responsible manager. What's your opinion about this fund? And which of the two money markets would you park $100,000 for a couple years? So there's a couple things I want to touch on here with money market funds in general, but first I'll discuss kind of the two options you referenced in particular. And as of today, I'm actually seeing the Vanguard Prime Money Market Fund yielding 1.1% compared to the 0.85% on the Ally Money Market uh, Fund. So you're right in that Vanguard has no FDIC insurance and the Ally Bank option does. And that's likely one reason why the Ally Bank option does have a lower interest rate. Yeah. You know, just like really on basics, yeah. yeah. The yeah. higher the yield, the more the risk you, yeah. you would assume you're taking on, and I think that's very much the case here. You're you're getting less return, but you can sleep well at night knowing that your money will likely not be locked up, um, nor will it break the buck, and you have that FDIC insurance that that money will be there. Yeah, that's if the, there's another financial crisis or something along those lines. And the the prime money market funds, this is something that's changed with the money market regulations recently. I can't remember the exact time horizon, but the prime money market funds are essentially allowed to float now. So what that means is they can they institutional could, institutional yeah. correct. So even but even the retail could have a lockup or uh, a surrender charge or some some kind of fee that would be charged if you want to access your money quickly. Yeah, and that's the big concern. Yeah. As, as money market regulation just recently changed, and uh, if you're a client of ours, you likely saw us moving you more into government uh, money market funds because they remain stable at $1. There's no redemption fees that can be imposed, and there's no uh, suspension period. Now, if you look at retail funds, prime and municipal will continue to maintain that $1 NAV, but in certain cases, you can be charged up to a 2% redemption fee. And this is kind of to keep from there being a run on the bank. Right. And uh, you don't see a lot of issue with that today, right. but go back to 2008 and, you know, 2007, 2008, when 
credit was a lot tighter. It was harder to get access to capital. And there was uh, uh, there was a lot of talk about some of these funds breaking the buck. I don't think any of them did, that, to my knowledge. I'm, I don't. I think there was one. There may have been one. I think there was one. And and is the Vanguard? I mean, Vanguard is obviously a very highly regarded fund company. They they have a lot of uh, investors. You got to think that it's probably going to remain pretty liquid. And there's very strict regulations on what these funds can even hold. In Absolutely, them. yeah. So there there's is the risk great? Not really, but you know, you're talking about a uh, what twenty basis point spread right. between the two. F- just for my personal sleep at night factor, I'd rather be in the one that I know is FDIC insured. Yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, or you know, if, is is a government backed money fund rather than one of these prime funds. And if if yield is your primary concern and you want to go something kind of split the difference there, there is a Vanguard government uh, money market fund maintains the one dollar NAV. No redemption fee, no uh, lockup period in the event that there's like a financial crisis or anything like that. And it yields 94 basis points. So if the 10 basis points of yield is absolutely worth it to you, then that would be our option over the prime for sure. But as KC mentioned, I think, you know, for for the peace of mind, you you put it in the ally bank and you give up, you know, 20 basis points of yield or something like that. So, yeah. So uh, rolling on with the questions, we've got Holly from Kennesaw writing, I received a proxy vote packet in the mail for P&G, Procter & Gamble. I'm not really sure what this is, much less what to do with it. Can you explain? So Holly, basically a proxy statement is required of a firm when they're soliciting shareholder votes on any topic. Um, the statement is filed in advance of the annual meeting um, with the SEC. In the case that you're seeing it with uh, Procter and Gamble, it's their regular annual voting approved board members. But in particular, while you're receiving this is Nelson Peltz, uh, activist uh, hedge fund guy, is trying to take a seat on the board of Procter and Gamble in hopes that he can kind of spur some change that he feels is necessary um, and influence management. And this guy is someone who has a, a background in doing so with consumer staples companies. He's done this with uh, Mondelez International, Heinz, who was subsequently bought. Um, by a group of investors, including Warren Buffett. In this particular case, it's odd for us to ever vote against management. And we don't really feel like there's a a negative side either way, because even if he does not get a seat on the board, we think management is really going to act in the interest of of shareholders and probably just this threat alone will spur some change. But we are actually recommending voting in favor of adding Nelson Peltz to the board. We think he, he brings some expertise in that in that area that can really uh, spur some growth in Procter & Gamble, who we're a big fan of to begin with. Um, if you look in the consumer staples uh, sector as a whole, it's not the most exciting sector by any means. It's exactly that, consumer staples. Yeah. You know, pull-ups, huggies. You're going to get a whole lot of uh, excitement out of that sector, but um, exactly strong company. Yeah, exactly. They're, in our opinion, they're kind of the, the best in breed. Um as far as consumer staples companies go. And as we talk about rebalancing the portfolio, you know, consumer staples, that's a, a good, strong company to add if you don't already own it. Yeah, absolutely. It's one of our recommended holdings. Um, Andrew from Marietta. Net- so Netflix made the cover of Barron's this week with Disney pulling their content, Amazon's own streaming service, and Facebook trying to get on the video service. Someone thinks Netflix shares are going to plummet. I see what they mean. If all the content starts going independent, think streaming HBO, streaming Disney, ESPN, etc., why subscribe to Netflix? But will everyone really leave? Netflix has its streaming service down. So I went in and read the article in Barron's. It's pretty interesting. I think it's kind of uh, 
the headline can be deceiving. They call for a 50% drop, but they're saying in the next decade. So they're not at all calling for Netflix to plummet this week, this month, this year, anything like that in the near term, because I'm sure a lot of their deals are longer term deals. Um, But, you know, it's it's a very relevant question. You had shares sell off 5% just last week when Disney announced it's going to pull all of its movies and shows and start its own streaming service. This kind of starts with concerns of ESPN uh, viewership going down. Now, yeah, that was Disney's impetus behind making that move, really, was the, the ESPN trying to get to a streaming platform with that. Um, and then, interestingly enough, you know, that Netflix, I read the article in Barron's as well, Nick, and it, one of the interesting points in there was talking about they don't actually own a lot of their content. And this this was so surprising to me. Yeah, I, like me when too. You, I, when you think Netflix, what do you think? Yeah, House of Cards. Yes. Uh, Bloodline. Um, yep. Uh, Which has been discontinued. You think uh, Orange is the New, Orange Black. Is the New you Black. know that's their, that's their top shows. And, and Stranger Things, out of all those, the only one they actually own? Stranger Things. Stranger Things. They yeah. license all that other content. Yeah. Despite the fact that it has the Netflix name on it, yeah. they don't own that content. So as they're, you know, as those contracts run up, What's to keep whoever owns that content from saying, oh, you want this before I go sell it to someone else? Yeah. Cost is going at way up. At the end up. of the day, mm-hmm. it's just a platform service. And it's, uh, you know, you, you look at the competition as well. You've got a lot of companies trying to get into that market. HBO is a big player. I just saw where Apple is, is going to Facebook. Gonna, Facebook, yeah, absolutely. Apple's going to start to uh, to contribute a billion dollars into the streaming yeah. content, creating their own content, sort of like Netflix did. Uh, that's not to the same level that Netflix spends yet, but uh, Apple's got a lot of cash. They Google, too. To Google's another one who's coming out, said to be coming out with original content. And you're exactly right. That cash yeah. is incredibly important. Now, there's two ways to get content. You buy it or you create it. Yeah. Neither one's cheap. The costs of both are going up, especially to license that content. Yeah. And the issue that Netflix is running into is cash. Right. Now, they, they expect to, to burn 2 to $2.5 billion dollars this year, that's up from 1.7 billion last year, 900 million the year before, and their debt is already junk rated. They're so heavily get, funded by debt. Yeah, and exactly. The only reason that they're able to get debt financing in the first place is because the stock price is so high. Exactly. So and and Reed Hastings, the CEO, has even come out a few years ago saying when the stock was 51 dollars, basically investor sentiment was too high, yeah. saying the stock price. And what CEO comes out and says that? I've heard it about twice, and it's Reed Hastings, and it's been Elon Musk. Right. Basically talking down the stock, saying, "Hey, the price has gotten out of control." Yeah, you don't see that very often, and it's, it's uh, not necessarily comforting if you're a shareholder to hear the CEO come out and say the stock is overvalued. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, Netflix has some some problems. I mean, they they have a lot of debt. The circular logic behind the debt is what's concerning to me, um, just because they're able to get the financing because oh, their valuation is high. The valuation is high because they're they're able to go out and license all this content because of their they're funding it with debt. Um, but it's junk rated, so yeah. there's a lot of uh, of concerns there. The competition heating up, and the fact that their only income stream is from the service, yeah, the they're subscription. not diversified at so all. So, in order, and one of the things the article was pointing out was that in order to make it profitable over the long term, they're going to have to raise their prices because there's only so many subscribers out there. And once you get a market saturation, it, it's plus with all the other companies entering that space, 
it's going to be hard to uh, to gain new subscribers. So yeah. the only way to, to get more revenue is to jack the price up. And there's the law of large numbers, too, in terms of adding subscribers. Like you said, and so at some point, the market becomes saturated. Yeah. Um, it, it, the analyst that they reference in this article basically says Netflix needs to price their offering at $20 or higher and add 150 million subscribers a year to be able to sustain itself at the current pace that's yeah. burning cash. $20 is starts to be a little bit, you know, I'm a net, the Netflix subscriber. Um I could probably live without it at twenty dollars a month. I yeah. mean, it's starting to get to the point where it's, it's. Not, do I really have to have it? Not to mention if all, if you're going to have better offerings or more expansive offerings. I already have Amazon Prime. They've got a streaming yep. service. They've got original content. That's and they, pretty good. They have, they have a lot more cash flow that they can use to fund additional. And there's there's content. More, there's more benefits to Amazon than Netflix because I get you know all the, their stuff. The delivery. <laughs> you got I mean, and more. really, if you think about it, the the price per year. Yeah. It's, it's it's right way more attractive, yeah. yeah, very much so. So um, and, and going back to the case study, you know, talk about babies, Disney. Look, yeah. if you have kids, you're going to watch Disney movies. Yeah, yeah you know, exactly. I've got two girls at home, and ninety percent of the things that we watch on Netflix has Disney in the name. Yeah. I mean, they are sure. watching. So yeah, they're well, going to have well, a problem. What happens as all these individual offerings come out? You know. Um, you have to buy how many different services to get all the yeah. content you want. And you're back. You're back to cable again. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and some sometimes you use the the uh, subscription service as just a supplement. You've got like HBO, um, but I mean, even at the at the price point that Apple's talking about entering in with a billion dollars, that's half of what HBO uses to produce their content. Sure. And, and HBO produces award-winning stuff. Absolutely. You know, it's it's going to be an interesting thing for Netflix over the long term. I kind of tend to agree with what the article is stating that it's. Uh, it's got to be near, unless they come out with some some other model or some some other way to get income, other than the subscription. Then I don't know how they're they're long term sustainable. It's I the platform base as a whole. You know, you look at Amazon. Yeah. It aggregates a bunch of manufacturers' offerings. Yeah, or, we talked you know? about this off the air, and it's like, okay, if someone were to come along and and create now, Amazon has got a foothold with the distribution and a lot of. Uh, the, the barrier to entry to compete with Amazon is extremely high. But what's to say like a Walmart or somebody can't put something together that's competitive with that and, and do like a direct to the from the plant to your consumer door? And you're already right. starting yeah. to see that. And Amazon is a perfect example, you know, with Nike. Nike sells directly through Amazon now, which is right. really kind of unheard of. It is. It is. So there's a lot of uh, a lot of interesting things going on with the e-commerce and, and how that ties into some of your streaming services that the online marketplace is 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 going to be changing quite a bit in the next few years i can just imagine yeah absolutely and this is a topic that you know trickles through to all sorts of different disruptors you've seen in recent years uber amazon uh you know the the closing of retail brick and mortar yeah and it's a topic i think we will definitely cover on a future uh future segment but it's just amazing to think of how much uh, you know, the world we live in now can change in the next uh, five to ten years, but uh, I, I guess right. only time will tell. Eight years ago, we were going to Blockbuster. This is true. That's right. Well, guys, <laughs> uh, it's been a great show. What's your opinion on where the market's going next week? I'm going to pull a bill and say flat. I'll say up. I'm going up, too. Thanks, guys. Have a great week. All material presented is compiled from sources believed to be reliable and current, but accuracy cannot be guaranteed. 
The contents are intended for general information purposes only. Information provided should not be the sole basis in making any decisions and is not intended to replace the advice of a qualified professional, such as a tax consultant, insurance advisor, or attorney. Although this material is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information with respect to the subject matter, it may not apply in all situations. This is not to be construed as an offer to buy or sell any financial instruments. It is not our intention to state, indicate, or imply in any manner that current or past results are indicative of future profitability or expectations. Portfolio holdings discussed are subject to change. There is no guarantee that in the future these securities will be held in Hensler accounts. As with all investments, there are associated inherent risks. Please obtain and review all financial material carefully before investing. Hensler is not licensed to offer or sell insurance products. This overview is not to be construed as an offer to purchase any insurance products.